Okay. So I'd like to thank Asi for organizing this uh, special Chabura that we will be having in Mitzvah Hashem each Wednesday for the next, uh, I guess, four weeks in Mitzvah Hashem. Um, and the idea was, and it's a great idea, to actually come up with some practical suggestions uh, to prepare for the looming Yaimadin. And if you look in the Musrisvarim, they are replete with different suggestions for what people could do in advance of the Yaim Hadin to hopefully, what they say, be minatseach bedin, to be able to emerge victorious from judgment. And they come up with all types of fascinating suggestions, and we're going to go through uh, as many as we could uh, do over the next month. And the idea is that if we're able to you know, think a little bit about the fact that there is a Yemadin, that I think is really the, the best Eitzah to Yemenatzeach Bedin in a certain sense. We have a choice. We could say, like most of the world, you know, yes, we know that there is in a couple of weeks going to be a judgment, and it's going to be pretty critical and severe, but the best thing to do is let's put our blinders on and pretend it's not happening. Uh, let's pretend the summer is still here and um, let the good times roll and uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we will die and have a fatalist approach to life and just like not think about things and not make any din v'cheshven, not make a cheshven on nefesh, not try to prepare for it and basically just go with the flow like the rest of the world does. If we're getting together here on a, on a Wednesday morning right at the beginning of Elul and we're able to say, no, there is something that's about to happen. It's very important that we at least talk about it, think about it, plan a little bit for it. That is probably the greatest way to get through the din because the Rabbi Shalom sees that we're taking it somewhat seriously. We're planning for the reality of din. And if you're able to really make it a, a true, real thing in your life, then then that's that's amazing. HaKadosh Baruch says, wow, they, at least they, they believe there's emunam bitachem, that there is a din. That's the first step to, uh, to, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu having rachamim on us bedin, because we're taking it seriously. If we're acting very flippantly and we don't care and we, you know, we, we sort of just whistle past the graveyard of life, then... HaKadosh Baruch says, if they're not taking their din seriously, then I'm not going to go out of my way to try to find rachamim badin because they didn't care enough to shteltzu to me. They didn't care enough to like make sure that you know they're showing me that it's real. So if they're making a joke out of it, I'll make a joke out of it. If it's funny to them and they think it's not, it's trivial, so then I'll make it trivial. But if we're taking it seriously, then that itself is a wonderful way to Frakrishparhu to see that we are at least trying. We're maybe it's a feeble attempt, maybe, you know, we're not going to be able to do everything that we should and we won't be able to, but by merely talking about it and meeting about it and thinking about it, that itself is probably the greatest eitzah to So let's jump right into it and speak about at least one thing 
that will help us get through this din. And it's something that I think we've all heard in the past, if you've ever gone to any, you know, Musr Shmuzen of anyone, uh, this is probably the most famous one of all of the many different suggestions how to get through the din successfully. And I like it the best because it's, uh, it's very practical and it's, uh, and it's something that I think we could all really wrap our, our brains around and, and take action with during the month of El and beyond. There's a, a statement that's found in Chazal, in different forms in Chazal, but basically the concept is that Tzibor Loimes, a Tzibor does not die, individuals die. You could read a, an obituary about an individual person dying, that happens every day. But there is never going to be a seaboard that dies. A seaboard never dies. A community at large always is alive, whatever that means. But a shevet, the Gemara says, gemir delikalia shiftaya, shevet in klal Yisrael never dies. There's always going to be uh, a community at large. Klal Yisrael as a seaboard will always survive. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has promised us that we will never be wiped out. We will never die as a tzibur, as a community. Individually, we could. So the Balai Musar all say that a great idea, if you want to make it through alive, if you want to tap into life in Din, if you want to try to get a life insurance policy right now, which is a good time to get one, to make sure that you're going to stay alive through the din, individually, if you're just going to do it alone and you're going to you know, enter the courthouse as you yourself or as me myself, it's going to be very difficult to, to win because me yitzhak ad medin, whoever is feels that they have this chusim to get through din, you know, you don't have to be here this morning because this is not for you. You are in the rare, um, the rare grouping of, uh, of the stipler and of, uh, you know, G'dayla Yisrael that are tzaddikei yisraelim, that they don't do anything wrong. But for most of us, we do a lot wrong every single day, every hour of the day. We do averis upon averis. Uh, we, we're either we're being over lavin, or we're, we're uh, or we're not doing assays, or even when we are actually doing assays, we're not doing them well enough. You know, you can really get very scared if you look in the um, if you look in in, in the svarim about bittel tyra. Bittel tyra, you could really get neurotic. I don't like even thinking about it myself, and I wouldn't want to share that neurosis with anyone around the table, but. You know, there's there's so much just in Bittel Taira alone that a person could, you know, have to give a din b'cheshbon for. Being mevatel Taira is pasha. You know, if let's say I, I, I read the the other day a sefer, he quotes his rabbi of Aaron Kotler as saying that if a ben Taira, anyone that's a little nervous maybe should leave, but if a ben Taira has the ability to learn 18 hours a day, this is the lashon that he uses, and he learns instead 17 and three quarters hours a day, 
he says he's going to be punished in Shamayim for that Bittal Torah. Now, if I, took, if I learned three hours a day well, I'd be a, it would be a great day for me. 17 hours a day, 17 and three quarters hours a day, I would make like a kiddush for the whole Kigarden Hills. But yet, you go up to Shamayim and you say, hey, what about that day in El? Remember I learned 17 and three quarters? Yeah, but you could have learned 18 hours a day. Really? That, that's that's the, the level of din that, that's, that, you know, it gets a little scary. Then there's Bittal Torah Be'echus, the, the Altaf and Slabotkos, the Rebbe of Aaron College speaks about Bittal Torah Be'echus. So, for example, like, let's say I'm, I'm learning the whole day, but I'm not learning on the level that I could be learning. Instead of learning Gemara Be'ian, I'm learning Gemara Be'kiyas. Instead of learning Gemara Be'kiyas, I'm, uh, you know, I'm learning Mishnayas. Instead of learning Mishnayas, I'm being Mavr Sedra. Instead of being Mavr Sedra, I'm, I'm, whatever, listening to a, to a shir online. Whatever it is, but there's bitul Torah So if you think that like din is like a simple thing, it's a walk in the park and we're going to just be able to, you know, get a free pass, then unfortunately, I wish it was that way, but it seems like it's not. So there's a lot to answer for. That's the good thing that we did. That's the Torah that we're learning. Now what about Lashon Hara? What about Machalas Asuras? What about Istaklas Barayas? What about... Uh, a million other things that I, I can't think of right now, Baruch Hashem. It's not an easy thing to get through, Din. It's, it's pretty hard. It's very hard. As good as we are, and Baruch Hashem, everyone here in this room around the table, um, you know, our B'nai Taira, perfect B'nai Taira, B'nai Taira Amitim, but still, you know, life isn't a joke. Life is to be taken seriously, and there's the, the expectations of the Rabbani Shalom that he has for us are quite high. So there is a din, and we have to understand that. So how do we, if we're going in alone, if we're walking into, I'm ready for Rosh Hashanah, Tavshin Pei, and, you know, bring it on. You don't want to say that. Because to bring it on me personally, to have that, the glaring light of interrogation on your head on Rosh Hashanah is something that no one, Kimat, will be able to get through the din Properly. We say this in Davening on Rosh Hashanah Kippur, Meitzak but then no one's going to be able to really alone be found perfect in Din or, or, or even be triumphant in it. It doesn't exist. It's very hard to do it as a private citizen. So what the Balei Musers say is, okay, so I don't want to do that. What's the plan B? The plan B is to tap into a Tzibur. To be a part of a Tzibur, if Tzibur that a shevet is never, is never annihilated, that a tzibur never dies, that's what I want to tap into. Because if I could sort of hitch my wagon onto the tzibur's wagon, now I make it through. Because HaKadosh Baruch is not going to destroy me. HaKadosh Baruch is going to let me slip right through and din. I once heard a, a very cute muscle for this. Um, there was a, uh, a student in a, in a law school and in law schools, you know, a, lot of, a lot of the classes are very, very big. You know, it's not like Lander College. They have, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 guys in a, in a, in a big class. But it's sort of like, a, you know, there could be a, an auditorium with hundreds and hundreds of students that are all taking the same class at the same time. And so it was like a test that they were taking at the end of the semester. And the professor says at the end of the test, you know, when the time was up, okay, everybody pencils down and, uh, you know, hand up your, hand your papers in. So there was one guy in the class that wasn't done with his test. 
And he kept on, you know, filling in more answers, more answers. It was two minutes after he set pencils down. It was five minutes after, ten minutes. You know, it takes time for the whole class of that size to start filing out and handing it in. And he keeps noticing the professor that there's this one kid that keeps on, uh, you know, that he's, he, he's going way past the, the allotted time. And he says, hey, buddy, there, pencils down, I said. And he said, you know, he just continues la'adam, like he just continues, uh, you know, filling out the tests, and it goes on and on and on, and it's like 20 minutes after the time, and, and by then the, the room is already, like, sort of cleared out. And now he's done with his test, so he comes up to the professor, and, he, and uh, the professor says, I'm not uh, taking that test. I kept on giving you warnings that... You had to stop. It was 20, it's not fair. It's 20 minutes after the rest of the whole class, you know, already uh, finished their test. Why should you have to, you know, why should you get that extra 20 minutes? Not fair. So the student says, excuse me, professor, do you know who I am? Do you have any idea who you're talking to? So the professor says, no, I have no idea what your name is. I have no idea. I don't care. So he says, Good. And he takes the whole stack of papers that the professor had, and he sticks his paper in, and he like, you know, and then he gives it back, and he runs out of the class. The professor has no idea who it is. If we would be able to like put our test paper in a stack of many, many papers, if we're able to be mitzvahif ourselves to a tzibur, then we would be able to also sneak through, as it were, and get past the din. The problem is that. People don't know this trick, but that's why we're lucky enough to have come together this morning and to learn that this is an Eitzah, that if we're able to be mitzarif ourselves to the tzibur, that's the best and perhaps easiest way to be menatzeach bedin. <coughs> There's a story that Rav Shach used to tell that Rav Meir Simcha, the Meshachachma, the Arsameach, when he was uh, on his deathbed. He had Rebbe Chanan Basserman. He had Rebbe Chanan. He had Rebbe Chanan Basserman sitting by his bedside, and he uh, and Rebbe Chanan said to him that I have an idea, but I need your rishus before I implement it. He said I would like your rishus, the Meshachachmas rishus, to. Probably was not called the Meshachachma then because Meshachachma was only put out after he died. So it's probably the Arsameach's Rishos to, um, to send urgent telegrams to all of the yeshivas um, throughout Europe to Davin for Meir Simcha. For Meir Simcha, Ben, whatever his mother's name, and Davin for Yerufur Shlema. So Meir Simcha says, No, absolutely not. I don't give Rishos. He says, I don't want. To be alone. I don't once once you single me out as an individual. Now, now all bets are off. Now it's very hard for me to be mitzvah within. I wanna stay within the tzibur. That's why whenever we daven for chaylim, what do we say? You know, b'soich sha'ar chaylisro. We don't wanna have an individual stand out. As soon as you're standing out, watch out because then you know everything is focused on you, and we don't wanna have the bright lights focused on us because. Our actions sometimes are very wanting. We want to have the ability to be mitzarif ourselves to the tzibur of Kal Yisrael. 
We want to stick our test paper amongst Klai Yisrael and then run out of the room, and that way, hopefully, we'll be in that safe. But then now, the, the only question that remains is how do we do this? It's very easy to talk about being mitzvah for ourselves to din, but to, to the tzibur, to get through din. But what does that mean practically? We're, this is a practical workshop for tshuva, for, for preparation for Yom Adin. What do we do? How, do you be, how are you mitzvah yourself to a tzibur? And the answer is, you have to make yourself into a person that the tzibur absolutely needs. There are two types of people in life. There are people who live for themselves, and there are people who live for the tzibur. They live for others. Most people in the world, I would say, live for themselves. What do we think about all day? We think about ourselves. I wake up in the morning. I have to get to davening on time. I want to take a shower. I want to eat breakfast. I want to have a chabrusa. I want to go to shir. I want to get shir. I want to eat breakfast. I want to eat lunch. I want to... It's all about me. My whole day could be... My whole life could be spent just thinking about myself. That's normal. That's human. We all... You know, I want to, I want to start dating. I want to start getting married. I want to have a family. I want to have a job. I want to have kids. I want to... It's all about me. I could spend from the moment I'm born till the moment I die all consuming... Me. Everything is me. Okay, obviously I have to do things for other people, but it's also about me. It's about me. If I get married, I, I'm helping my wife, that's because if I don't help my wife, it's not going to be good for me. I have to uh, be a chabrus. I have to work in, a, in an organization I, for a corporation. I'm, obviously I'm doing things for the corporation, but I'm doing it so that I don't get fired. But everything is really, when it boils down to it, it's all about me. That's one individual. There's another type of individual that from the moment they wake up in the morning till the moment they go to sleep, they're thinking about the needs of other people. Other people. It doesn't mean they're not concerned with themselves. They still take a shower. They still dive and they still shave. They still, uh, you know, eat. They still sleep. They still, obviously, they have to have self-preservation also, but they are focused on what do other people need. You know, the extreme examples are, and I, I say this all the time, maybe too often, you know, people that join Hatzalah. People, what is Hatzalah? Hatzalah is an organization that it's basically I'm living for other people. That's really what it is. I'm living for other people. It could be Seder night and my kids are around the table. It looks like a Norman Rockwell, you know, image of a, of a beautiful family Seder night, you know, with the matzahs, the marr, and the kittels, and the, and the charesis, and the wine, and the bechers, and beautiful, and then all of a sudden, the radio goes off, what happens to Tati? He's running out, and he might not be home the entire night, somebody else has to take over the Seder. It could be a Shabbos, it could be Yom Kippur, it could be Rosh Hashanah, it could be Hanukkah, playing Dredo with your kids, call comes in, boom, goodbye. That's a person that lives for the tzibur, if nobody would join Hatzalah, it would be a different Tzibur. The Tzibur would be Kalia. The Tzibur would be finished because there is no Hatzalah helping. It could be Chaverim, it could be Gemach, it could be being a Gabay Tzedakah, it could be a Bal Tzedakah, a Bal Chesed, a Mach Nesayruch. There is many different things that people could do to live for somebody else, to live for the Tzibur, to build a shul, to build a mikvah, 
to build yeshiva katana, to build, or when I say build, I don't mean physically build, I mean maintain and, and be involved and roll up your sleeves, make sure that it's functioning. All of these things are things that it's seaborne needs, recognizing the fact that it's seaborne needs, that here I am jumping into the fray because if I don't do it, then I don't think anyone else will do it. And if people like that did not exist, Klai Yisrael would look different. If there was no one that built a mikvah or maintained a mikvah, there would be no mikvah. Make no mistake about it. If there would be no one that built shuls and yeshivas, built beis yakovs and kailim, there would be none of those because nobody was thinking about somebody else. They were just thinking about themselves. And then there's the, the, the smaller activities. If you don't want to join Atzala, and I don't blame you, and you don't want to join Chaverim, and I don't blame you, and if you don't want to uh, you know, do some big gemach because you don't have time, or you don't have the, the, right now in your life, you don't have the ability, that's fine. There are little things that we could do to be a part of the tzibur and to tap into that eternity that the tzibur promises. And those little things are... Filling up the urn in the coffee room. That urn that you see with hot water in it only has hot water in it because there's a malach that comes at 2 o'clock in the morning, whenever they are, and, and takes the, the hose from the sink and spritzes it in for like 10 minutes to fill up that big urn of water. If not for that guy, and I don't know who that guy is, and every year or every month it might be somebody different, but if somebody didn't think to do that, then we would not have coffee during Seder in the morning, in the afternoon, and at evening. Somebody's doing that. That's not the job of the, of the custodial staff. That's somebody in yeshiva that's doing it. That guy, whoever that guy is, was mitstarv himself to the tzibur in a very easy way. He didn't, do a, he didn't have to you know, run out in the middle of Seder to, on Hatzalah call, but he did something that the tzibur needs. That's a schus in din for him. He can go up to Shamayim, he can go up, I should say, on Yom Adin, on Rosh Hashanah, open up his machzer, and say to the Rabbani Shalom, I, don't, I can't be removed this year, you can't take me out, because the tzibur needs me. Without me, the tzibur would not have coffee, would not have tea. That's a simple thing, but that's, that is a way, believe it or not, of being mitzvah for yourself to the tzibur. Sometimes it means going around and, and you know, putting away chumashim and sidurim in the base medrash. Or svarim, or I don't know if somebody has that job, if there's an official job, probably somebody has it, but if they do have it, there's always need for more, because it's never ending. It's like one of those jobs that, you know, never ever end. There's always people taking svarim off the shelves and not returning them, even though that's not a good thing, but I guess we all do it, and we're not proud of doing it, but the reality is it isn't. And, and, and if you're that guy that even puts away a little bit of, you know, you pass by a, a table, you're on your way to, the, to go out of this bed, you see a sitter and a chumash and whatever, you put it back on the shelf, right, on the doorway, then you're an ish tziburi, you're, you're a public servant. That little activity made, made you into a public servant. And that's a tzchus and din. That's something you can go up to Shemaim and say, I was an ish tziburi, you can't take me away. 
These are small, very small things to clean up the styrofoam cups from the base matters that people, for some reason, think, you know, just suddenly, like, dissolve as soon as they, as soon as Seder is over. They don't bother taking them away, or they're dirty tissues. That really is a pet peeve. It's not, it's really, it's, it's disgusting, and it's very magil to other people, but they just, you know, blow their nose, put the tissue down on the table. Some, if they don't, the same midas that allowed them to do that would be the midas that don't feel it's important for them to throw it in the garbage after Seder, so somebody has to do that. So you take like some gloves or something, you go around the base medrash and you and you throw dirty tissues out. You know the schus that you have in din for that? There's something important that I just want to end with. It's a little late. But don't think for a second that by being a tzibur mensch, by being somebody that the tzibur requires, needs expects that you're going to lose out for it. Besides for the fact that it gets us through the din, which is priceless, a person that's involved in the tzibur never, ever loses. There's tremendous brachas that are given by everybody in Klai Yisrael, for people that are Isaac B'Tzarchi Tzibur B'Amunah. Every Shabbos we say, Chalmish Isaac B'Tzarchi Tzibur B'Amunah, what happens to him? HaKadosh Baruch Hisham Zcharam, HaKadosh repays him, he has refuah. Tremendous brachas. Wouldn't you want that? How much would you pay for the entire Klai Yisrael davening for you? You should have refuah, Yeshuas, Nechamas, Parnasa, you know Machla. It's pretty cool. But there's actually, even if it, there's an outlay of money, even if you're like, you, it's not a free thing, it's something you're actually buying. I'll tell you a secret. Every before every Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, I go over to Ariel, and it's I think it's been my schus for for many many years. It used to be Zev Kilstein before Ariel, but now Zev left. So you know, and I and I said I want to pay for the tissues on on Yom Nairam. Yom Nairam Rosh Hashanah. People are crying. People are sneezing. Air conditioners cranked up. You know, I want to pay for this. Not a lot of money. What is it? Fifty, hundred dollars for you know for we buy the cheap tissues and whatever. It's uh, not a big deal. Okay, so you you lay out some money or you scratch it and say, what else does Seabur need? That I'd like to I'd like to fund it. Whatever it is, you know, you buy, you know, for the gemach, you buy some pens, you buy some uh, some headsets, you buy some uh, I don't know some of these machines. Whatever it is that you know that the Seabur would require. Fill in ink, you know, the magic marker for your fill in, whatever it is. So there's a little bit of an outlay of money, and maybe, maybe money's a little tight for you. You're not going to lose out. The money comes back. I want to just tell you a quick story, uh, one of my favorite stories. When I was in high school, there was a, a good friend of mine, um, and he was a very, very, he still, today is a very chash of a rabbi in, in Lakewood. But he was one of these ish tziburi, he was like a real tziburi mention. Every Friday, he was known to go to the local supermarket in Long Beach. Uh, it was called Walbaums, and he would buy every week the same thing. It was a jar of pickle chazarai, if you know what I'm talking about. It's not a pick, it's not pickles. It's like you know, it has like onions and like you know, like it's a whole jar of, of like stuff. But guys like it, yeshiva guys like it, and and then. Um, and he bought like a Reisman's brownie. And Friday night, he would keep the, that jar that he wrote, you know, that it was his, in the refrigerator, and he'd keep in his locker that everybody knew which his locker was, 
that Reisman brownie. And it was for people that were learning in Beis Medrash over the course of Friday night during the winters and Shabbos afternoons as the Shabbos and got later. You know, you'd be able to go and, and always help yourself to that. You know, cut yourself a piece of brownie if you're hungry. Go take some of the pickle chazarai and, 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 uh, and that was his chus. And ninth grade he did it. From the beginning of ninth grade, every Friday, he thought to do this. It was his chiddish. Friday, uh, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. I happened to have gone with him like the last week of 12th grade. We walked together to the supermarket. And this is a true story. I saw it with my own eyes. He put his hand in the, on the shelf to get one of those jars of pickles and there was a, like a broken jar on the shelf. He didn't see it. And as he was pulling his hand out, he cut his hand. His hand started bleeding. It wasn't Baruch Hashem very serious, but because it wasn't my hand. If it was my hand, it would have been serious. But it was his hand. It wasn't so serious. But he was bleeding profusely. And um, the people from Wallbaums were very, very... You know, efficient, and they were well trained. I guess they came out immediately. They swept. Uh, they got rid of the jar. They put a bandage on his hand, and they whisked him into a back room because right away they were afraid of a lawsuit. It's an obvious lawsuit. There was a pshia. There was a, a broken can and jar of pickles. You know, it's just inviting a lawsuit. They basically said to him, before it goes any further, we know that you know you cut your hand on a jar. We don't want this to in any way escalate into something that nobody wants to happen. So could we just settle? We'll just cut you a check and we'll settle and, and you'll sign a waiver that you, know, you don't hold us liable for anything and uh, we'll call it a day. So he wasn't a fighter. He said, okay, it sounds good. They cut him a check for like a very like weird number. It wasn't like $1,000 or $2,000 or it was like the weirdest number you've ever seen. It was like $1,673.84. I don't know where they got that. I don't know what the gematria of that is. It was the weirdest number check that you've ever seen in your life, like without any rhyme or reason. But, you know, he took it, he signed the waiver, we went back to yeshiva. Afterwards, we sat down and we made a cheshpin of how much every week it costs to buy those things times the number of weeks that for the four years of high school, and wouldn't you know that it came out to kimat that exact number? Because whatever a person does for the tzibur never, ever costs him, really. Whatever you do for the tzibur, there's a guarantee that besides for all the brachas and the yeshuas and the chamas that you get for it, and the fact that you're menatzeach bedin, which is the greatest bracha, the tzibur always repays you. You will always get paid back in one form or another, financially or otherwise, but it's that it's the reciprocity that the tzibur affords a person, that when you're a part of the tzibur and you're really a part of a tzibur, what you get back from the tzibur is much greater than anything that you ever could possibly give to a tzibur. And this is the first step of how we're going to and the next Wednesday we will continue on this journey towards Nitzuach Bedin.